It's ad break time. I'm proud to announce that the Beyond Solitaire podcast is sponsored by Central Michigan University's Center for Learning Through Games and Simulations. And as usual, they are up to some amazing things. Their next game, Hydrologic Cycle, is scheduled to come to Kickstarter on March 26th. CLGS also continues to offer classes in partnership with Gen Con. The next course, Classroom Game Design, Yes We Can, will be taught by one of my absolute favorite teacher gamers, Dr. Christiane Hintz. It begins on March 4th, and you should definitely sign up for it. I'll also include a final plug for myself. If you like the show and want to support it, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash beyondsolitaire. Thanks to listeners like you, I've been able to keep upgrading my equipment, subscribing to StreamYard, and more. But for now, let's get on with the show. Hey gamers, this is Liz Davidson from Beyond Solitaire, and I'm here in the pod this week with a very special guest. Uh, this is Pablo Clark. He is from Eerie Idol Games, a new publishing house, and he is the designer and artist for Old King's Crown, which which was successfully crowdfunded this year. How are you doing, Pablo? I'm very well. I, uh, uh, I've been enjoying the post campaign. Uh, we're still very much working on the game. So uh, I've been enjoying that. And uh, yeah, it's just been, a, it's been an amazing uh, last six months. So uh, I'm, I'm still high on that. Fantastic. So I kind of want to talk about, um, I think your career trajectory is really interesting. So you are now essentially a full-time board game designer and publisher yep an artist but you started your career in video games yeah so why don't tell us a little bit about your dark past and then we can <laughs> and then we can get into the board games <laughs> Be selective about what dark past uh, bits i share um so uh i was freelance artist for years and then i uh i did a lot of work in video games mainly in triple uh, a video games um and which is, is a great space. There's lots of very interesting things. And it was, it was a great uh, education about uh, learning things with high stakes. So there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of pressure. There's big teams. Uh, so very exciting when, um, but uh, when this opportunity started to present itself, uh, I was really excited to kind of jump on it. Um, and it, the way it came about was I started working on this game as a, as a, little passion project and then it grew arms and legs and then grew more arms and legs and became <laughs> from the thing or something um yeah so that's that's how i ended up uh what i'm doing now fantastic um in your personal gaming life uh would you say that you were always more of a board gamer or a mix you also like video games what do you what's your actual like gaming life off the clock look like mm, good question um, I've, I've got this thing about games. I, re I really love uh, what, what I term like PlayStation 2 uh, style games, which are, what I mean is that was an era of, of video games where they were super ambitious, um, but, but, but not, uh, not, con not so tied down by the obligation to be like photorealistic or to, so they could experiment with these much weirder ideas. Um, and still get made and still get funded was much harder to, to fund games now. And it doesn't mean that there aren't incredibly interesting indie games out there, but I just mean it was this very specific kind of strangeness and jankiness. So I, I really like that in games. Um, I play a lot of solo games, even though um, the, the Old King's Crown is, is, although it has a solo mode and a, a good solo mode, I think, I hope, um, it's you know, it's, it's like a really social game. 
think there's a lot of bluffing and there's a lot of like um, misdirection and things like that. Um, so yeah, I like I like those kinds of games. I like complicated games, um, and I think there's probably huge holes in my uh, in what I've played. I think I think sometimes it's quite useful to preserve a little bit of naivety when you're making something, um, because not ignorance. I think you should like you should look things out, but sometimes not having the full shape of something means that you think about things in a different way and that can be really useful. Um, so yeah, I've probably got big holes in my, in my gaming knowledge. Um, and I, I, I like falling in love with a game. I think that's really important. Like I like, I've, I've just, I've just narrowed down my game collection to 25 games. Ooh, whoa, that's brutal cut. Yes. Um, now, some, some of them are going in storage, so I haven't quite made that final, but it, it, was, it was a really interesting process and I did it, I did it on love alone. I didn't, I didn't try to, to sort of, um, or actually that's not true, it wasn't all love. Some of it was just, I'm, I'm the most interested to play this, because there's a few games in there I've never played. And I, I just, I'm just like, that's what I want to play. I just, I just asked myself that, like, I just, do I want to keep these? And everything else, if there was some doubt, it would just go, just go straight away. Um, so that's been really interesting. I'm really excited. I'm the most excited about, about um, my game collection uh, than I've been in a very long time. Uh, there's too many games. <laughs> Says so you recondoed your board games? It's, it's just too many. It's too many. Uh, <laughs> it's not enough time, and there's, there's too many games. Oh God, there's never enough time. Never, never to do all the things that I think both of us want to do. Um, But, you know, I want to talk about Old King's Crown. I was really impressed with the prototype. Um, I'm excited for it and for whatever you'll do next. But where did the idea for this game come from? Because on one hand, it feels so familiar. Like there's lots of sort of fantasy things that make sense in there and different ways for factions to interact that make sense. But, you know, just if you kind of have any background of like reading history you're reading fantasy you're having like generic ideas about how people interact and there's also little twists in there that really feel specific but to what i don't know so <laughs> yeah so so well it's probably important to acknowledge like uh, uh bias or or um uh, environmental factors so i grew up in a place called uh when when we moved to scotland from spain grew up in a place called the Kingdom of Fife, uh, which has, you know, there's like, uh, I grew up in a little village and there's a ruined castle in that village and you can walk around the ruined castle and the little village is surrounded by woods and that was that was my childhood. I just spent it in like the woods and around castles. So yeah, there's a kind of inbate, um, uh, like love and, and fascination with, with, with that. Um, and then as far as, as far as fantasy and history and so there's a writer called Mervyn Peak who, who's also an illustrator and there's somebody who I admire a lot. And he wrote a series of books called Gormenghast about this ossified, um, social hierarchy that exists in this kind of unending castle. So the castle's never really defined. It's, it's as big as you want it to be kind of thing. And it's about how a character comes up from the kitchens and sort of upends the whole social order. 
and how the the monarchy, which is so so um, hung by its own traditions, has no way of adapting to it, and 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 the the the, the castle kind of comes apart. So that was a huge huge book. I mean, there's three books in the in in the series. But what I like about it as well is it's it's fantasy, but it's not it's not heroic, and mm. it's not like like the the, the nobility are they're, they're not even cruel. It's not even as simple as that. They are just very strange and flawed people. Um, all the characters are, and I think that that to me is interesting. That, that, that I think a lot of fantasy presents. And a lot of historical fantasy presents these kind of heroic ideals, um, which are enjoyable and they're fun to play around with, but they just interest me less. And so I think the game is about um, it's about like factionalism, which is a huge thing in in, in the UK as well. This stratification of society based on based on these kind of uh, social classes that are baked in. You know, if the if the if the American dream is that you can you can totally subvert and upend, you know, where you came from, and that's the the like ideal that's sort of striven for, then the UK doesn't doesn't work like that. You know, at least at least not historically, and it, it kind of embraces its staidness in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, we, we were talking just before we started filming there as well about stories and about. I think that's the other big point of it is that the game has all these named characters but but in a way a bit like history which is well when exactly did this happen because maybe those the, in those vagaries we don't know and and were they good or were they bad you, you, like the the very opening of the the kind of the description of the game presents two kings one a, like a miserly tyrant and one who died surrounded by the love of his of his you know um peers and so which one is it i i don't know i mean I, you know i have my own i have my own thing but i'm not interested in 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 telling that to people that's not that doesn't interest me at all and it doesn't interest me that the kingdom has a name that doesn't interest me named characters are useful because it, we, we can abuse them with a, with a sense of character in that moment that's useful but like their direct relationship to each other or ages or things like that. None of that interests me. Um, vibes over, vibes over uh, facts. <laughs> I mean, if the vibes are strong enough, it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it is working actually in the Lucky's crowd. Um, so that's really interesting. Like a mix basically then of what you see in the world, things you've read. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a really cool insight that I'll kind of take like the next time I, play that game and kind of look for look for like, um, what it makes you feel like to run across a named character yeah 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 like um now you you uh you are very qualified to talk about history in a way that i'm absolutely not so and and for me history sort of swirls about me like like i think that that's like myth and legend and history, I'm at my happiest considering history when it's all soupy and swirling together. 
which is which is I realize is not often the way you should treat history. It should be like this thing happened at this time. But but that that to me is is when my imagination takes flight, and it's, it's when I enjoy it the most. Um, See. I actually don't know. So the thing that's interesting about history is that I think a lot of people are taught to think of it as a set of dates and like facts. Mm. But what it really is, is a way of interpreting what we have, which is often not a whole lot. Um, you know, we, we never have as much evidence as we want, especially as you move further back in history. And so sometimes all you have is gossip that people told a hundred years after the fact. Sometimes um, you have a building, but there's no explanation for whose it was. But like maybe there's some cool wall art and you're trying to figure out when this is from and like why this was chosen. I mean, history is really, I think, I think the real work of a historian is interpretation of Mm. difficult sets of facts as opposed to assembling reliable sets of facts. (laughs) Right. Like I read this thing recently and I just thought it was an amazing, like, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Amazing, like almost like logic puzzle, which is that they they determine or one of the metrics that they use to to determine stability. Um, in I don't know, it was it was, it was somewhere in 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 the UK. Uh, I was it was and it was I don't know what year, but but the, the, it was the frequency or or the closeness of 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 gold hoards being found. And and the, the difference in times, because the idea being that you would the currency would be active if it was if it was a stable time, and you were more likely to bury it if you, it was a period of of you, you were trying to hide it from from raiders essentially, and so so the the frequency of Viking raids I think it was Viking raids or 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 unrest along the coasts. Has, has been tied to 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 the the like hoarding of gold as a as a kind of means to 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 protect private wealth, which is which is fascinating um, because I suppose the other way you could look at it, and I'm sure I'm sure they've considered this and just rejected it, is you would bury it in times of immense wealth because you'd be like, hey, it's the, the you know we, we can we can give this over to the dead. So um, I just find that very interesting, and the, the whole idea of like rumor. And gossip prevailing, um, you know, and, and and if if you want to, like, if you want to condemn, well, that's a bad example. If you wanted to condemn Henry the Sixth, then you should make fun of Henry the Fifth. You know, like, like like the records should show. That's a bad example. Obviously, Henry the Fifth was not was not um, was not ragged on. Um, but yeah, that's that's um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'm in my favorite unit in my Latin advanced Latin class right now, which is that we're watching I, Claudius, and we're talking about the early emperors. And what's interesting is that some of what we have is true to their times. Like, we have some things that Augustus wrote, or we have some records of archived letters that Augustus exchanged with people. We also have just tons of gossip. And a lot of times, (laughs) the ancient historians who compiled the work that we're dependent on were not contemporaries of these emperors. Chunks oh. of their work gets lost. And also, like we know that, like, for example, Suetonius had access to archives. So some of the stuff that he's reporting is like archived information. But yeah. then some of the stuff he's recording is hearsay. And he doesn't really think to distinguish all the time for you either. So you have to decide mm. what of his reports you want to buy. 
and what is characterization what of his characterizations of these people you want to buy um and people choose differently yeah yeah I mean, and uh, like that's active history like at work and I, I really enjoy teaching that to my students because i want them to feel like the uncertainty of looking back at something and trying to decide mm. what happened like mm. in your story right like we have gold we can kind of determine when it's from we don't actually know why it's distributed mm. the way that it is yeah, yeah, yeah. yes and so <laughs> you could put together the best argument but you'll never be able to go back and just like ask and so yeah. you just you just do your best with like incomplete information mm. and i think the reason i thought old king's crown was so interesting is actually it, it has this in common with a lot of what leaders doing now too which mm. is i love historical games but i also love historical allegory where mm. we are not dependent necessarily on having to stick to history but we can still talk about it by creating a world where it's safe to talk about it because mm. i don't know if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean for, for me, I'm very flexible with it. Like the, there is like a people's uprising, which is, which is modeled much cl more closely on, on the social changes that went on in the industrial re revolution or in this elements of like, um, the, like, um, uh, like the French revolution, as opposed to anything that happened in, you know, uh, the 11th century or anything like that. Um, and, and just having that flexibility is really, this me, to, to me is, is, is fun and interesting. And also the, the, the idea that if you're going to tell a story about an, an old place that you should, it should be a, a, a palimpsest of all this different information laid on top of it. And some of it comes through more brightly than others and other stuff drifts away. And, and I think, I think ambiguity is, is great. I love it. I love it. I, I think it's the best. I, 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 like, I think it's the best as a storytelling thing, because in ambiguity, the, the imagination can take as much root as, as it needs to. Um, so I, I really enjoy ambiguity in, in my storytelling. Other people. I, I love that personally. So I, I make my boyfriend crazy because I can't answer a question yes or no usually because <laughs> I'm like, well, you have to consider. <laughs> but I I don't know. I enjoy conversations where there's not like a right or wrong answer. Uh, because for me, like the act of thinking about it and talking about it is more fun than like deciding what the answer is, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think you, can, you can learn a lot that way um, just by being, it, it, it not being totally cut and dry and i think a story really benefits from that not all stories obviously but i think i think again i think fantasy lends itself to to you, you know there's lots of talk in in modern fantasy about systems of magic let's say right and to me that is it's completely antithetical i'm just i'm just not interested i'm not interested in in that at all um, and it, I'm, not, I'm not trying to condemn it, it's just me personally, I just don't have no interest in it. And it's because it, it should be unknowable, I think. I think there's a fundamental, the, the interesting part for me is that it's it's magic, that it, that it, is, that it is unknown, that it's something closer to, to uh, God or, or fate or like, like, like whatever, it's something, something strange and big or than than us 
and, and, and it being vague is, is more useful, I think. More interesting. I, yes, I actually agree. Also, so many scary like horror movies have been ruined for me by like too much exposition of what the evil actually is. Like, <laughs> I'd rather not know, actually. Just the, the uncertainty is what brings yeah. out the most feeling, I think. Yeah. So you you're talking about storytelling in the context of your game and i i like that i do think the games can tell stories and that they there's so many interesting narrative possibilities but i also think that there's like a school of well you know could a game really tell a story where do you fall on that and where do you fall on that specifically in relation to the old king's crown i i mean my opinion is is a, a game's not obliged to do anything like um like it's it, it's capable of doing whatever it wants to be i, I don't think it's it's like art. Like I'm not really interested in defining what art is. Um, I, I think a, I think a game can tell any story, um, and I think I think the main advantage that a game has is that it has this odd mechanical component to it. Obviously, it's made up of mechanics, but they can they can kind of tell like an absolute truth about something. So, like, in, let's talk about the old King's Crown. I'm not saying this is a, a great example. It just comes to mind, um, which is attrition. So, so it's in the game, there's a mechanic where it, there's deck building in the old King's Crown, and it encourages you to to get new cards into your deck and take some out. And, um, however, unlike a deck builder, if you ever run out of cards, instead of cycling them back around endlessly, you suffer attrition which means that you have stretched your supporters too thin, you've gone too far. Just like a classic thing in, in, in medieval warfare, I'm thinking like the Levian campaign series of games, right, which like really focus in on this. This idea that just the logistics of raising an army was this huge thing. And in that one mechanic, you can sort of express that one idea and you make, it, you make the player feel that. They, they, they feel it, not because you're telling them, there's nothing in the cards that is saying, uh, 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 watch out, you know, um, or, or you, you don't need to draw everybody as, as anemic and like, like impoverished on the cards. It's just when you run out of them, it, it conveys that sense. So, so I think, I think games can, can, can cover so much ground because of that little spark that, that exists, the conduit between mechanism and story. Well, the way that they rub off each other gives there's so much potential in that I think and I think leader really good example of of um, you know a, a company that do that or or um, like oh, sorry I'm just looking at this games collection or um, Imperium Imperium Legends and Imperium uh, Classics and the New One Horizons they they express in that game. Uh, they have systems for all these different factions, so many factions, and they express themselves in different ways, and it's mechanical, and so you feel in that moment the, like you're playing that faction. And so that's covering a lot of historical ground by saying very little. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I like yeah. I, I like the art of saying a lot with a little. So mm. mm -hmm. I'm not good at it. I just appreciate it in others. But yeah, I think, I think, I think games totally totally do that and again I, I maybe my preference would be that they, they wouldn't be so literal sometimes um and i do think that as an industry we are guilty of uh, telling the same stories again and again and i'm aware that i'm i'm telling a, 
a story about medieval warfare. Oh, that's a new one, you know. It's been it's been it's been done a million times. Um, but you you know that's that's as we spoke about earlier. There's reasons why why I was personally interested in that. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's definitely been a lot of very clumsy storytelling, uh, and arguably very inappropriate storytelling sometimes. And I think that that can harm, you know, uh, a, a, the ability of, uh, as an industry to to feel proud about the stories we can tell and to and to sort of and to show that to outsiders who don't play and go, hey, this is a good example of storytelling in games. Well, there's plenty of bad examples as well. Yeah, I kind of feel like we're all feeling our way there over time. Board gaming yeah. is such a young, like I mean, it's old. Like board games have existed forever. But also board games, as we appreciate them now, it's, it's a relatively new phenomenon. Mm. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, uh, and I was, I was just going to say, and you know, the other thing is, it's 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 tied to commercialism as well. You, you, you know, certain things sell, so, so you understand why why certain things happen. And also, just as a game can tell stories, they are also not obliged to tell stories. I think that's important too. You can have a game about nothing. I think that's fine. In fact, I like a lot of games that are about, you know, Hive is about a bunch of bugs, like moving around or whatever, you know. And it's a great game, a great design. Um, it, it does not need to, does not need to say anything as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, giving people room to say as much or as little as they wish is like part of the fun. Mm. Yeah, like like um like witchcraft. That that it, it's a reimagining of of an existing system. The, the solo game that got released last year, um, and mechanically it's so similar to to resist, but the 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 juror system, where where essentially the 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 coven of female witches that you are piloting throughout the game will eventually be judged by their 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 peers, like the elders in the village. And like it's such a neat little storytelling thing that you have this you now have this like external or sort of internal pressure really. So you're fighting all these monstrous things and then you have this final kind of uh, judgment thing. And it's such a smart little it solves the mechanical problem I don't know if it was a problem that Resist had, which that had less of a conclusive end. You just had to kind of pull the plug. Um, yeah. I mean, also fitting for it for its theme in Spanish Civil War. But um, Witchcraft kind of advances that forward, but then also just is really neatly, you, you know, talks about the kind of paranoia and, and his, well, hysteria is a bad word to use, but um, uh, the the hostility toward, towards these people historically, uh, which is great. Anyway. Absolutely. So we've mentioned leader a couple of times. And I know, so the first time I ever saw the old King's crown, it was actually when I was in, I was in Minneapolis about a year ago, like in February um, yeah. to play elder scrolls at the chip theory offices. But I went over to visit leader uh, as well. And I saw a copy of the old King's crown there. And so I know that there has been some intertwinement in the, you know, between y'all, what involvement did Leader have in the Old King's Crown, and how do you feel it impacted the game? So, they, they probably had more involvement than they meant to have, 
Um, and that I might have been because I was knocking on their door a lot. <laughs> um, they, um, so, so, so we approached them with this game and it had a bunch of artwork already done for it. And it was a mechanically more simple game. Um, still had so much of the, the, the skeleton was the same. So it's basically always stayed the same. Um, it's kind of bidding fog of war game about uh, competing for for these resources and watching out for 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 not stretching supply lines too thin. So we started talking to them, and you know, I, there, there was part of it that was that was you know, how, how does this industry work? How does it? Because I had so much experience coming from video games, and and also animation as well. So it was it was it was helpful to just know what it was that how this all ran how 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 does the relationship with publishers work how do and you know we uh we really admire leader games's approach um to making games and the way that they conduct themselves and the way that they encourage um art and and the, like the design in the game to be to be totally intertwined and that they operate a kind of studio system in an industry that otherwise seems to keep things quite separate at times. Um, and so we just started talking to them and they started giving us more and more advice. And then they eventually, we kind of came to a sort of, uh, like a development pipeline where we, we were interested in growing the game and they were interested in seeing it grow because, um, they thought we could we could make it bigger and weirder, um, and we did. We made it bigger and weirder. It's better as so, well. Um, <laughs> but 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 without them, it, it wouldn't be the same game because we were we were at that point we were getting a lot of interest from publishers who just wanted to print the game. They just wanted they just wanted the game out there. Essentially, the artwork was right. looking good. That was the general consensus, and the gameplay was snappy and and it was it was doing what it wanted to do. Uh, for those publishers and they wanted it out the door and leader with one company that went mm, do you want to work on this for another year <laughs> you know and uh, and it, we, we did i mean we absolutely did we had spent enough time on it that we knew that we wanted to 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 make it right and that's what they really instilled in us and, and even even to this day like we had a co call with cole uh, a couple of weeks ago we've got another one this week coming up and a lot of his guidance and advice is still at the forefront of our minds when, when it is, it felt like we've had this amazing m mentors in our corner. Um, and there's been other people in the industry who've, who've been like that as well. It's been, it's been wild, just the, the, the support and not so much like video games. Video games is a bit more, it's been a bit more ruthless, at least in, in my experience. Um, and this has been much more nurturing. Um, in a way that's really, really amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So speaking of kind of the intertwining between art and game, uh, one thing that makes Old King's Crown so interesting is that you are its designer and you are its artist. Yeah. Um, how did those processes work together for you? And like, did which came first? Do you, do you think of images that then need mechanisms to kind of bring, like, how do you, or do you, do you, yeah. Like, well, no, how, does, it, how does it work? <laughs> I'm, uh, 
like that's my job. I, like, I've always been a, an illustrator. That's that's what I do. But it mechanisms first. Like like the the, the game was was um, on bits of card for years, for years. It existed. In fact, it was called Super War, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just it was just it was the most. Um, it didn't even have a theme. It was just it was just that was funny to me, and uh, and it was it was. Um, it had it had no kind of theming beyond that, um, and then then when we we played it and the, the prototype had gotten so written on that it was completely illegible what it was that, that the cards even did anymore because we'd written on it so many times. Uh, that's when we knew look we wanted to make the game because we'd been playing it for 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 years at this point and the the playtesters were getting bigger and bigger the group and so we um, we we just started doing that and then from then. We, st- we started giving it a theme. Um, and and th- it was always right from its very conception because it was, it was a, like a, we, we first designed it with a normal deck of cards. It was, its very first conception was called like the, the Four Courts or something like that. And it, it had the castle, the harvest field and the, the necropolis. And, and and then it was called, yeah, it was, I went through a bunch of things, but basically what I'm trying to say is had like a vague theming of like supply lines and things like that. Um, but then the process of creating art for it is like, um, I think it's so fundamental because even if it isn't informing the mechanics necessarily, it started to inform the, the feel of the game. So so we knew we wanted to make this, this we took about nine months to make the art style. Um, and in that time, there was like five different art styles that we that we employed. And we could have gone with any of those, but I, I think the one that we went with was was the right one. So being allowed the luxury of time, I think, made this ultimately much better. And I, that was one of the great things about being the designer and also being the the the, the artist is I could I could tell the person running the project the, to to shut up for a minute. And let me let me this was me uh, let me um, figure out how to draw it, and you, you, it's much harder to do that if you are a freelancer who's brought in for three months to do, you know, sixty drawings in a certain way. Um, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Most of my career has been like that on video games, but um, yeah, this is such a, a luxury, and I think it ultimately made the game much much better because. Over time, we could just start to develop this world. So it started to move away from just being uh, like a proxy of a medieval world, and it started folding in these ideas of, of palimpsest history and storytelling, and of strange obscuring of different eras of time. And um, we, we, I could start to to, to be to be to question my own biases and my own. The, the inbaked biases that we have. So, for example, um, you know, uh, the the game is gendered right at the gates. It's called the Old King's Crown. But who's competing for this crown? And how can we maybe uh, have fun with 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 um, who is a strong character in the game? What does strength mean in the game? And what does and it allowed us to. to I didn't want it to make it too martial. So there's not very many weapons in the game. And there's not very many. Um, like, like there's not much direct violence 
and it's there's some, but it's implied. Um, yeah. Like for, for for example, there's war machines. Each faction has a war machine. It's overtly a um, a kind of you know a weapon. But the one for the uprising, which are like this secret kind of uh, faction, all about trying to undermine the the, the power. Their war machine is somebody a university lecturer pointing at a blackboard full of sketches of potential war machines and then the the flavor text says something like you know i hope we'll never have to deploy these or something like that and so there's there's a fun kind of i could have just drawn a big tank you know i could have but instead it was it's fun to let that stuff percolate and that's the luxury that's the, that's the best thing about this and I've gotten much better as an illustrator as a result because I just got to hang out in this world. Um, and I'm still hanging out. I mean, I've got lots, lots to draw. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so this actually, this is fascinating. I am really looking forward now to like looking very carefully at the art for this mm. game when it arrives in its final form. Um, and I want to circle back to talking about art and games because you have some very well-developed opinions about it the other thing i want to mention is uh so you said that you felt like your game is now in a good place it's had some kind of post uh kickstart um growth so what has happened since the last time i checked in with the yeah. old king's crown and what's gonna what's gonna surprise me when it shows up at the door so the, we um i think i think i think the big thing about this experience has been a lot of like learning so at at its at its um, at its smoothest, we've had a bunch of people helping us, like Leader Games, helped us a bunch. And for the logistics of the game, um, you know, I think everyone would be relieved to know that I'm not coordinating the, the logistics of the game because your game would never arrive, right? It's, it's not. So we have like an independent company doing that. So there's, it's been really useful learning you know what you're good at and what you're not good at and one of the things that, that happened was this game has been play tested for years and then with leader games it went through this whole other testing thing where we were pulling out wires and like changing things and it was, it was amazing um one of the things was I, I didn't really know how to manage a community so that was a very interesting thing we had a huge influx of people they all got like you know very strong opinions some of them very good opinions and very like valuable even if i don't necessarily agree with them and so the, the the i was definitely guilty of um in real time fiddling around with the game while we were running the campaign and and doing some things because there was some fundamental things with the system that were really close but were just not quite right and then so the game probably went a little bit backwards as the as the campaign went on because i was tuning it in, in weird ways. And the faction balance got, got real kind of goofy for a while. Um, but uh, the when we could finally step back, that made a huge difference. So, so we, we just had a little bit of time. And, uh, and then in that, we got to solve these final issues that, that we've been talking about. And um, the, the, the big one is, um, the game is a kind of all or nothing, uh, and it always had this in design, it's really important, it drives the conflict in the game, but we've given a way to access the most exciting parts of the map, 
and the play area through a kind of consistent means. So it means that each winter you can move forward your game state. And it was just a revelation. It was an absolute revelation. It, all the rules were there. It's not like we, we, we were writing new things. But what it, that stability meant that your long-term planning could increase dramatically. It meant that you, it's almost like there's like a little bit of a Euro game happening there now because it's, it's, it's pretty consistent. And that meant that we could expand those things. So before, for example, um, I promise I'm gonna start rambling, but um, you, you, you could gain cards from your side of power and most factions only had one or two. And the reason was you could, it was limited by how many times you could actually get in there. Um, because it was tied to a region. You were competing for a region, and then you could get into these things, right? So it meant that those cards were burdened with having to do a lot, because they had to be so powerful in the late game that they felt important that you got them. But they, but they couldn't be so powerful that if you managed to play really smartly in the early game, that you would whitewash everyone, because you would just, you just have this card that, that, that you could keep like pulling round and round. Um, so as soon as we added stability to the whole thing, it meant that now everybody is, is competing on equal terms. Now, if you want to expedite that, you can still, you know, really try and focus in on the top region and that you that will still move you forward. And it meant that we could also, so now there's more cards there because it means you can get more. So now there's much more of a, a deck building element and we can do that because it's stable. Um, and it's the same with the court. The court used to be this binary thing. You held the court or you didn't hold the court advantage if you had the court didn't if you didn't have it well now that more people can get in it becomes we've turned into these councils so there's three councils each one of them got a special ability and it means that you now are running the kingdom so you might have the council of um, steel or the council of masks and it lets you do different things and the reason why we can do that is because everything's more stable and it was mm -hmm. such a it was such a small thing and sometimes in design I'm sure you've experienced this as well. You just, I didn't, I mean, obviously we have tested it so much, but as, at the moment I wrote it, I was like, oh, I don't, this is, I, I don't, this is done. Man, this is good. This is, this, this stays. I know this stays. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like a huge revelation. And, uh, and I, I cannot believe it took me years to, to reach it. Uh, you know, a better, more experienced designer, I, I imagine would have just been like, hey, you should just do that right way. Um, I don't know. I mean, the more I talk to, I mean, I, I now have like a very young designer life, right? But, you know, I think that something some things just take a minute no matter how far mm. along you are it's it's about you know we've talked about kind of creative process right you have to do the process in order to get the best result yeah yeah and and maybe had we found it earlier in the process we maybe would have fallen in love with that and then we would have lost some of the the, the like sharper uh more competitive elements of the game so i think i think where it has landed now i'm just i'm just so excited because all, all the testing has, has been going fantastically and it just it just creates it creates the, the opportunity for you to make good on expressing your because we have these asymmetric factions and I think that they've always expressed themselves well as asymmetric forces in the game 
And then we, while developing with leader, we introduce this neutral deck, which is the kingdom cards, and you occupy those, and each one of those, that's what creates the kind of various from game to game. Because you, yeah. be you might be a noble faction that is employing a, a bunch of mercenaries to do a bunch of work for you and that sort of stuff. Or you might be running a gambling den, or you might be, you know, uh, you have access to a hidden library or whatever. Um, and this felt like the, the, the step, the final step up from that, which is that you could engage with these interesting parts of the world from a stable platform. And, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was such a relief because I definitely, I was tuning the game based on, on, on when we were running the Kickstarter, I was tuning it in some pretty weird directions. And there was definitely a few, a few moments, you know, in the shower or something like that where your head is just pressed against the tiles and you're just going, what am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I'm feeling a lot. Um, I'm just feeling really happy and excited. About it. I can't, I can't wait for people to play. That's awesome. So I have yeah. one more question before we just talk art, which is you mentioned, so now you're full time working with um, Eerie Idol, which is like the publisher that you've co-started. Yeah. Um, do you, and you also mentioned that, you know, having time to develop mm. things and really get them right was meaningful mm. for making sure that you had a good game. Do you think that you're going to have a conflict between your desire to let things get enough breathing room and your need to keep going now that this is what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I mean, so, so, so much of it is tied to a broader ambition with what you're trying to do. So let's say that we wanted to take this and we wanted to then make three games in the next three years. Then yeah, time would have to crunch, time would have to contract on each project massively. For, for that to work that isn't that isn't our ambition at all i'd like to support this game for 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 the foreseeable future um it doesn't mean a million expansions i just if we stay small then the financial pressure is is, is a lot less um and the time pressure is also is also a lot less um but you know we we've definitely developed skills that we would like to use uh, on other projects down the line. We have this idea for a game, which is, now, I'm not saying this will happen, but, but, but we like it a lot, which is, it, it goes back to that thing I was saying at the start about PlayStation 2 games. In that era, one of the things that happened, ah, it happens still, but like a game within a game, you know, like, like you, you get a big RPG and then you've got, You've got like a card collecting game inside that. Yeah, arc. like Gwent inside yeah. of The Witcher or something. Yeah, I, yeah. I love that. I, lo I love, I love the weird mental conceit that has to happen. That it's like, yeah, you're in this medieval kingdom, but also everybody's got these cards, and we're, we're not sure how that how that's quite working. I love that. I just, I just think it's great. Um, <laughs> so, so we have a design that that is. That is, let's say you, you want to play the Old King's Crown. The Old King's Crown takes like an hour and a half, two hours. It's a big strategy game. Um, it's got a pretty complicated game. But we have this design that is the, a tournament. And the conceit is that the people in the world of the Old King's Crown play this game about a tournament. <laughs> and it's, it takes like 20 minutes. And you can 
the winner of that game becomes the first player in the in the All Kings Grand. So it would it would be really fun to if if this is an expansive look at a kingdom in flux over time and with all this factionalism and things like that. It'd be really fun to then take that and zoom right in and go like, well, what does a single event look like in this game? And the game kind of plays a little bit like the old King's Crown, but just everything just distilled right, 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 right there. Um, and we sort of love it. And, and then we, we, we have another design. I mean, we have a bunch of designs. We work on stuff all the time, so it's fun and it keeps you, it keeps you sort of sharp. But we have this other, like, much more ambitious game. But I would rather um, work on the old King's Crown. Um, so that that's that's the immediate thing, but for sure, like like pressure to 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 produce stuff, huge, huge. Um, so we'd rather stay small and allow this thing still to keep percolating. Um, you know, if if we, if we make an expansion, let's say we made two factions. I'd want to give it the time to to make those two factions interesting and to and to make mistakes and then hopefully correct them and to to go to have the time to go. Do you know what that actually doesn't that doesn't work? We have, we've put in a bunch of time on that, but it's not that's not right. And as soon as you start the, those deadlines start screwing in, you start having right. to just commit to things. Um, one final point on that was. You know, when we ran the, the Kickstarter campaign, we didn't add any stretch goals or anything like that. And also, some people were like, this game's it's going to be the same price at retail as it is at Kickstarter. And it's, that's kind of expensive, right? And we, we as the buyers are paying for, the, for like the VAT, for example, things like that. Like these are all like business decisions. But the way we looked at it was that allowed us to, to insulate against rising costs and insulate the game that the because we're all trying to make the best game and hopefully people want to play the best game it insulates that process enough that for example now that we've expanded the game and there isn't just one court there's now three well that's a whole new board and, and we, we can make that a tuckable board i mean you can tuck your cards into it and why do you want to do that what well, saves table space it's got its like, utility but it means that we priced the game in such a way that we could add that stuff on. And instead, the option might have been, oh, we've come up with this idea, but we can't do it because um, we've run out of cash on it. You know, yeah. And I, I think that's going a bit slower and going a bit more like conservatively in, in that sense. I think, it's, I think it's useful. I think it's useful. And as, as we were saying, there's lots of games so so many games get made, and speed is a is a thing, and and so I I don't I don't know if we we can stay competitive that way. I, I don't know I don't know what what our finances look like in a few years, but for right now, stay small, stay true, uh, stay on target. <laughs> that's the, that's the aim. Hey, it's a good motto. Um, and I sort of feel like you know you're an illustrator, you're now a designer and publisher. Um, you know. And, and we're talking about very real, you know, issues of time pressure and keeping ideas enough time to breathe. You know, you, we're also in a world where people are trying to present generative AI as a possible solution. So um, 
I, I guess I wanted to sort of talk about, you know, all of this giving yourself time, giving yourself a process. Um, what do you think that that is doing for you that even spending a lot of time on a mid journey query cannot give? Yeah. So, so um, I think, I think a, a lot of this stuff is about learning. So, so, so um, you learn on the job. So, so let's say you're, you're somebody and using generative AI to make the artwork. And you're maybe also make, making it do maybe the UI as well. So, so how the information is presented. Well, it, the ability for, for it to generate those images, maybe a very high fidelity, and maybe as, as very close approximations to, to AI, uh, to, to UI, for example, there's two separate things. Uh, might be really high. Anyway, the quality might be good. I, I, I would argue against that, but anyway, um, and, and not just in terms of fidelity, but I just mean the the feel of the thing. Um, but even if it is really good, have you learned the requisite skills to know how to put those together in in successful ways? Are you actually communicating information well, or are you just approximating what something else has done, but it's inappropriate that it's used in this way? And so I see that a lot. Like like you know, this, this, this generative AI look to games, very high fidelity usually, and it's like very detailed, but you know, the, the colors are like, they're cooking real loud a lot of the time. And so it means on the table, I mean, uh, we have a very busy game, but I'd like to think we spend years working on it. And as a result, the colors are like balanced. Whereas this, you, you, you like, I've seen games where there's no correlation between the color of the cards and the factions. So you've got like these bright UIs, but then they'll they sync a bunch of colors into this thing. So it's really noisy, but you don't get any information either. You don't know what faction you're playing as. Tonally, it can be really weird. Um, and all of these things are just things that you can learn. So I'm not saying that, that people, you know, depending on their legality, I don't know how this is going to go, you know, the, the, the future of AI. But what... what I don't think that doing something very quickly, even very efficiently, is the same as doing it very well. And there are just things, there are skills that you just need to learn. I'm not talking about drawing necessarily. I'm talking about understanding the tools that you're using and using them well, right? If 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 you there, there's entire industries built around UI, and there's a reason why it's because it, it's it's crucial to how the game works. And if you're just if you're just taking two generated things and just plonking them on top of each other, the, the results are, are just not they're not good. And more broadly, what is it that we're buying? Like, what, what, why is it that that I'm not sure that the argument that you know it's faster or or it can be done by more people is necessarily a good argument? What is it that, that we are buying here? What you are buying? I, 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 I would like to think you're buying care and consideration and time and uh, all of those things allow, I think, the thing to become better. If, if we had put the game out when we were talking to Leader in the first place and we went with another publisher, it would not be um, the game it is now and it would not be as interesting. Um, but it's just a fact. I mean, it was... It, the game took less time. You could play it quicker, and it was cool. It was, it, was, it was just a different different thing, but it's better now. It's better, and the artwork has gotten better. And 
I've gotten better as an illustrator and I think I've gotten better as a game designer as a result of, of, of the thing taking time and you learning as, as you go. And this idea that we can, if, if you hand in an essay on, on, you know, uh, I don't know, on Rome and you generated that, you, you don't know any more about Rome, right? So, 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 yeah, you haven't advanced. You, the, the amount of uh, essays that you need to submit in a term has advanced. It's advanced by one or as many as the, that you use this. But you don't know any more about it. And as a result, you're, 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 you're no more capable. And isn't it like, isn't one of the great things about life that you get more capable, that you become smarter, that you advance your understanding, that you become more empathetic to people's struggles, that you realize your own limitations. Like the, all these things are really important and just fundamental things about being human. They're not, I'm not talking about drawing or anything like that. And I think all of this is just baked into that. Um, I am very skeptical of companies at the moment in particular that are using generative AI. And the reason is they're running ahead of the legality of it, which I think, mm -hmm. is, I think is irresponsible. Um, I, I think it's very telling as well what, what they value. But I think it's also just sending out this very, very odd message, which is um, that the, the, we're, we're going to pump this thing out. <laughs> we're going to pump it out quickly. And we're, we're being pretty naked about, about that being what, what we're shooting for here. Um, and I just don't, I just don't think it's interesting. And just on a very baseline, uh, I just believe in people. I just think people are more interesting. Um, and if something was made by somebody and it's imperfect, I just think that is, is, is just, just better. So speaking of people being more interesting, the other aspect of your career up until now has been that you have worked for clients and produced art mm. um, according to their requests and their specifications. What makes a human artist, despite creative differences, despite time stuff, despite the fact that people need money to live, what parts of that process do you think have been meaningful uh, in a way that a generative AI uh, attempt at doing visuals for a game uh, cannot be? Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's that same, it's the same conduit point between, uh, like we were talking about, mechanisms and story. Well, there's a leap that the, the, the live wire has to cross, has to cross that point of space. And in that is where all the magic happens, I think. So, so just two people working at odds can be, can produce interesting results, challenging results. Some of the, some of the jobs that I worked on that were the hardest that, that either took the longest or, or were maybe most fractious produced the most interesting work because it was two people, you know, rubbing up against each other with interesting results. Um, I think that you develop new things that way. I think, I think, think new is very, um, is very important because, um, at, at it, at its worst, a brief is purely regressive. It looks backwards and it goes, I want this to be a, an approximation of this other thing. Um, and the best kind of brief moves this thing forward. And I think that the humans 
uh, are great at moving things forward uh, under certain circumstances. And, um, and, and that's one of them. Like, if you just think how far a medium like film or a medium like uh, board games has come, um, and that's been reliant just on people's imaginations coming together. So, so I think, I think you, I think the best kind of hires for a job are often hires that are to do with interest. You find the person interesting, you find their work interesting. And that in itself is going to generate ideas for you. Um, if you're surprised by what they're producing, that can be invaluable, invaluable. Um, and it can also be useful in that you go, no, that is not what I want. And that's useful as well, because it defines these limitations, define all these interesting parameters that, that make for more interesting things. Um, so, so I think, I think engaging with human beings like that is, is really important when making things, just so important, the most important thing. Because um, it's that thing of growing together, learning, just invaluable. Yeah, I think that also comes into so one thing that I worry about anytime I make anything from lesson plans to now board games um, is I always and you know, even videos on my YouTube channel, even the stupidest video on my YouTube channel, I'm always worrying like, what is it that I'm offering to other people that makes the thing that I'm putting out there worth their time? Mm. Because when you engage with other people, like that's part of a creative process. But I also think that when you put out creative work, you are asking that people mm -hmm. engage with you. Mm -hmm. And I personally spend a lot of time wondering if I've made my offerings to the world worth the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I guess for me, um, you know, it's sort of like, I, I sort of feel like making sure that the work that comes out from me, um, I mean, at least I really gave you something that I had myself, mm -hmm. yeah. um, if nothing else that's that's exactly it like, like i think i think at your moment of of uncertainty that that is and it, it's it's always um a question i think you should ask yourself it's like i am asking someone's time for example i'm i'm to play the old king's crown here you've got to give me an hour and a half you've got to give me two hours right um that's that's a big ask so but i think also that by going through some of the steps of scrutiny that we've talked about, you become bro you become broadly more confident that what you're asking for is at least at least measures up to 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 what you would hope would be would be asked or, or be given to you if you were if you were uh, on the receiving end. Um, and in that comes a certain confidence. It doesn't mean you're right. And it doesn't mean everybody agrees with you. People have vastly different metrics for this stuff. Some people don't really find that stuff valuable either. They just want to play something and they don't, don't really like, or they want to consume something very readily, very easily. Um, but I think, I think that, that level of, of scrutiny will help that, that, that feeling. Cause I think you go, yeah, no, I, I, at least, I did I put in my time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I sort of, you know, it's just like with my students, like I always remind myself, I shouldn't ask them to do things that I think that it's BS to do. Yeah. Because that's yeah, yeah, not yeah. good teaching. They're people as well as students. And then I also, you know, I try to give people what I would want to be given. 
Um, yeah. Right. And it's, I think that you're honoring that when you spend that time with others and you put that in. It, like, um, I don't know. I don't know if I've said this before, but I, I always think of AI as um, and th- this idea of, of like putting time in as as an apology, right? Like, like um, if if I got an AI to write an apology for me, and I, I said I, I need to I need to I've let someone down and I need to, I need to write an apology, and they wrote an apology, and let's say that in advance I'd also written an apology. And the two were identical. They were absolutely identical. There, there was no discrepancy. The root me- mechanics of both were, were exactly the same. One still means a lot more than the other. Um, it, it, the, the output is, is irrelevant there, really. It, it's got everything to do with the process that went into it. And so that that's a pretty important distinction. And I think that you would be... If you were to hand over those two apologies, you yourself would also feel very different about them, yeah. um, and because you had earned one, and you had you had just produced another one. It's two different things. Um. So, the yeah, the f- fidelity with which it, it imitates an apology is not is not the is not the issue here. It is right. it is the intention of the apolo- of the apology itself. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, or you can make it a love note. Same concept. Mm. <laughs> um, so kind of moving back to something positive before we run out of time, speaking of respecting people's time. You mentioned earlier in the interview that you're not interested in defining art. So I'm not going to make you define it in an exclusionary sort of way. But what are some of the things that are included under your umbrella of what art is um, that are specific to board games and also that might make people see art in a more meaningful way if they listen to this podcast and then go out and look at stuff oh no <laughs> oh god <laughs> um, i think oh no that's so oh that's so difficult i it i think that art is in whatever medium is just the the thrill of something that's been made that is sparking off your imagination. And that can be about almost anything, but it's that, it's that gap between the two things, between you as the viewer and the person making it. And the spark that exists between that is goes beyond function and goes beyond understanding and is closer to, to, to something mercurial because, because I think like in the same way, that, the same way that like love is not a binary state. You're, you are, you are, you are in love, but what that is can be really, can really fluctuate and you can hate someone that you love and you can do, it's all sorts of, of grays in there. And I think art invites those, those same responses. So, and it can be everything from from like total recall, like a trashy film that I love, or you know uh, some some profound uh, bit of um, you know uh, 
I don't know, like 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 a fresco in a in a church in 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 Italy, right? Like, yeah. I, I think if it invites your imagination to start um, heating up and boiling, then then that's it. That's that's what that's what art is, and that's why it's so special when it is not about what the final result is but it is about all the little ambiguities and imperfections and interesting ideas that are uh, baked into into the thing because that allows for more of that uh more more froth between the two the two like certain points because a certain point is just that is a painting and you are you the response it can elicit is enormous you know and, uh, and so yes there that i think maybe oh, i like it i like it um so uh, just one more softy question that i asked you a tough one uh, what games have you been playing recently that have been bringing you some joy okay yeah games have been playing recently um hang on a second i'm gonna i'm gonna actually like crib this and uh, and just look at this pile um because I, I just sorted this stuff out I sorted this pile. Okay, so uh, what have I been playing? Well, I've been playing a little game called All King's Crown. I've been playing that almost exclusively. Yeah, uh, here's, but, uh, here's pretty good. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, what, what have I been playing? So I've been playing um, I was playing Witchcraft, which is very good. Um, I've been playing Oath, Multi-Handed, which is not, I know that's not the way you're meant to play that game. I've been doing it that way. It's okay. But, it, it might look a little different from what you're playing right now, though. Yes, I imagine. <laughs> um, I was playing Renegade, Ricky Royals game. It's really Oh, yeah. Good. It seemed to be Deckers in its new really, It is. Yes, yes. Um, and I, I was playing the original. Um, I, I tracked down a copy when we first started working with Ricky on this uh, on this thing. I played it once before, but I, I really liked it. But I've been playing that a bunch. And Sorry, I'm still looking at stuff. <laughs> um, War of the Ring, the card game. I think that's really good. I've heard good um, things about that. It's really good. It's really good. It, it has this this great central hook, which is you just pay for cards by removing one card. So Marvel Champions sort of works the same way. But the economy is like so much more just binary here. Um, and you have to play a certain number of cards. You can't like carry over many cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about making the best of of what you have and either planning for the future or betting in the moment that you can win. And that like core, it's so simple. That's really simple. It's like play something here and you, you can use it later on, or do you think you can win there? And then you've got to do that by deleting half of your cards or, or getting rid of half of them. So it's so simple. It could just be like a numbers game in that way. But then there's a whole bunch of great, like, John Howe artwork on it. There's theming's great. Um, it's a nice, like, kind of escalating progression. It's really good. I really, really like it. Um, and uh, that is, uh, that's it. Oh, and I'm, I'm really excited to dive into uh, Plantagenet, the, the vocal rookie. Um Actually, he wasn't the designer on this, but he's the designer of the system. The the levy cam the levy and campaign game. So I picked that. I'm really excited to to jump into that. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. And then if people want to uh, follow you online, see what you're working on, hear from you, uh, where can you be found? So um, the best way would be to, if you haven't, is to sign up to the Kickstarter because it's uh, the late pledges are open and we do regular updates there. So if you haven't signed up, sign up. Um, no, <laughs> uh, but Eerie Idol Games is the best way that you can find this. And that's because it's taking up all my time at the moment. Um, that's, that's where I'm posting. We have a Discord, all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, find us there. And if, if people want to know about the game, you can just ask questions and I'll be happy to, uh, to um, procrastinate by, by answering <laughs> questions. <laughs> Uh, the truth is is finally out. No kidding. Um, so uh, I can be found anywhere online as Beyond Solitaire. I too am terminally online and happy to procrastinate. Uh, but Pablo, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This is a lovely conversation. It's been a real delight. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yes, I hope we have more in the future as like more things come out from Eerie Idol. I'd love that. <laughs> So everybody out there who's listening, uh, thank you so much. Please like, subscribe, comment, ask questions, and most of all, happy gaming.